last episode of Love Letters Bound in Gold Handcuffs, Lee and Roland had met at a fancy dress party in Paris. She was there on a break from the stifling expatriate life in Egypt, and he was there visiting his friend Max Ernst. They spent three months together, first in Cornwall, and then in Mougins in the south of France, enjoying complete freedom and artistic discovery. They parted in early October to return to their normal lives. In order to understand the world that Roland and Lee were experiencing in June 1937, you have to go back to the beginning of the 1930s. Now, the 30s has been described as the devil's decade. Claude Coburn wrote a book with that title in 1973. And it all really stems from the Great Depression. This was an economic recession which started in 1929 and lasted for most of the 1930s. It affected rich and poor countries alike around the world. Unemployment rose to over 2 million and stayed there. There was hyperinflation and hardship in every area of the world. The birth rate fell. People couldn't afford to have families. In Britain, it gave rise to the general strike of 1929 and the Jarrow March. In the United States, the Depression gave rise to the Dust Bowl and the huge privations suffered by farmers in the Midwest. And President Roosevelt brought in the New Deal in an attempt to deal with it. In Germany, there was hyperinflation and unemployment. In France, there were general strikes. Italy was hugely affected as well. So Roland is now back in London, organising some exhibitions, and we left Lee last episode writing from the boat as she slowly travelled back to her very different life in Egypt and further away from him. Saturday, 9th October. Darling, my love, I think of you all the time. Day after day, getting further from me back into your Egyptian world. Man's photo of your lips disappearing into the Mediterranean is horribly symbolic, but I haven't even got your legs to console me. Just paper objects and memories, which I look over time and again, thinking of the incredible happiness I have had, and which I hope to have again. Here the weather has taken a turn for the better, and there is plenty of sun, so that I hope you will have had a calm trip. Bathed and found amusement on the boat. Cured your cough and be feeling thoroughly well on your arrival. I long to have a letter from you. Do write to me, even if it is only a line, as often as you can. Thea rang up and we dined together. She was very sweet and sympathetic. We talked about you a lot. I like her. She is not difficult or pretentious, and fits in very well with my present melancholy mood. I asked her to come here for a few days, and she has had to leave her present lodgings, so this afternoon I shall go and fetch her. She will at least break up the solitude which I find hard to bear. I have been doing more collages, 
with the postcards. In fact, the only thing to do is to keep occupied with something the whole time, and at the moment there is no lack of things to do. The Goldfingers asked me to dinner last night, but if it hadn't been for Thea, who was there too, I should have died of boredom. As it was, I was half asleep in my very uncomfortable chair all the evening. I fitted up my sun lamp. It is a wonderful invention. I can now lie in bed and take sun baths at midnight. A really brilliant idea for which, again, I have you to thank. Darling Lee, I miss you horribly, and I can't forget you for a moment. Even your scent still hangs about the rooms. The impression you left is so strong and so carried that I find it everywhere. In the car, your empty place, a pair of old sandals, a cigarette packet nibbled at the corner, not to mention your name in gold letters, which I see every time I open my pocketbook, and which every time gives me a twist to my solar plexus. Why did I ever let you go? I curse myself for not loading you with changes and carrying you off somewhere where nobody could have found us. My sweet love, my adorable Lee, we are all too civilized. Darling, my darling, write to me when you can. Lee, I love you. I hope you got my other letter sent off on Thursday. The 11th of October, Lee is still on the ship on her way back to Egypt, the T.S. Mohammed El El Kabir, and the letter was posted in Alexandria. Darling, I'm being very conscientious and starting in to form good habits. Now trot out that speech you made about breaking them and changing them and getting new ones. The speech I took exception to in Mujah's lunch one day. Anyway, you is a habit with me. The awfulness of it has begun already. The heat, the bad food, the mutual suspicion and hostility life in Egypt has infected the boat. And although it's peopled by English for the most part, even they look fat and greasy. I didn't think it possible that so many dreadful and fatuous things could pass as thought or conversation. I wish you were here so I could really bewail and bemoan. And anyway, I feel so bright and remote from them all, even though thwarted. It rained until today, portholes cloud, people sick and whining, no air and damp. My fever's gone away and I've eaten nothing but vegetables. Went swimming, which was not too agreeable as a lot of other people had the same idea and the pitching of the boat made mountainous and splashing waves from one end to the other of the pool. Then sunbathed in my beautiful black Heim Pereiro, which I sewed myself. I'm afraid I consterned the entire passenger list, being the only naked female aboard. Everyone else is correct in the shade, knitting and drinking whiskey and soda. This is a weird one to pick up on, because it's the bikini. It's a very small detail in this letter, but the bikini that she mentions is actually quite incredibly important. 
we still have it here in the archive and the label in it is from Pario Heim. And it's actually from his very first studio in Paris. He became quite a famous designer. In fact, the most famous bikini is one that was worn by Brigitte Bardot in the 60s. And this was the precursor to that bikini. Obviously, in the 30s, when Lee was wearing this, it was considered indecent to show your navel. So he designed it with a tiny little panel that's literally about a centimetre and a half thick that comes down from the top bikini top and connects to the bikini bottoms that then covers your navel to maintain your modesty. And this is this the version that Lee had. It's it's bonkers. It's black, but it's also got patterns of red, yellow and green kind of leaf shapes all over it as well. This, because this was a bikini of the 1930s and things like lycra didn't exist in those days, it's also made of just a normal cotton material. The Egyptians talk about the fall in the price of cotton. The marriage of old Nessium Pasha with a 17-year-old Austrian girl, daughter of a Tyrol hotel keeper. The English about Palestine, and last year in Palestine, and next year in Palestine. I sunbathe, and think of all I missed with you, and how I intend to suck you dry, to absorb all of you next time. Only if I really conjure you up, alive and close, I cry, for the futility, the tenderness, the completeness of our knowing each other. Saturday. Darling, I wake up still wholly yours. We land this afternoon instead of Sunday morning. Naturally, cooks wouldn't know, but for a month they've been going straight through. We weren't even allowed to land at Malta. It was pouring, so it didn't matter. They were in such a push to keep to schedule. I couldn't keep my orange juice regime or even start it as they weren't any on board, so I compromised for a vegetable diet, kept strict discipline and looked very well, plus hairdresser on board. Dr Mallinson's advice seems to have been good and I've kept white mice the whole trip as I should hate to have been frantic about things not arriving. You must write me about all the silly things that happen, what you do, who you see, your current picture and all the goings-on of people I know and people I don't know except through you or their letters to you. I must feel that I'm there and that I'm meddling in it also. You must keep sunburned and healthy and work very hard and make beautiful pictures for me to steal. Send me photos of everything you change in the house so that I won't run into sharp corners when I go walking round in my thoughts. Who shares my bed? Whether you liked them, and if they come back again. And beware of making cuties fall in love with you like I did. Now that you find it so easy, as with me, you'll probably spend your time breaking hearts. Did Tony go to London? Triputin? Man Ray? Valentine? Did you find Dr Moody? And is he really fun or were we both drunk? Give my greetings to Annie and Mrs Washbottoms if she's around. Install a bidet and a sun lamp. What is Victoria's address? And what am I going to do without you? 
And why do I do without you? My bathroom runs salt water. Its floor is the top boilerplate of the boat machinery. I can't walk in my cabin barefoot. Sometimes the temperature's 34. It's impossible to do any repacking. I got the little thermometer out. I can understand my fever. It's a Turkish bath and the fat is melting off me. I had finished all six of my books by Malta. I didn't get long enough ones. I can't read the Cahiers de Sud. It's too difficult French. I drug myself and sleep naked in my sweat and blood. My back aches and my throat is stiff with sobs for you. Oh, darling, you've done a lot to me. I know you're not responsible for it. I opened myself to your influence. But I can't get all the pieces to fit together again. Like a water-soaked jigsaw puzzle. Drunken bits that don't match in shape or design. I get nervous and jerk at them and wonder if I ever was meant to fit together. If I'm going to make a new picture or readjust myself to the old one. I want to feel your fingers on me. To hear you say my name. Not with your voice, but with your whole body. To have and to hold and to cherish. Darling, I love you. Lee. Arriving back in Cairo, Lee made a very quick turnaround and went straight on a desert trip to Siwa, some 700 miles away. So this is a small little postcard and it's got no image on the front, but I think it was a picture of the oasis in Siwa because she refers to it in the text. It's postmarked the 13th of October and it's from Lee to Roland in Hampstead. Docked at 11pm Saturday and, believe it or not, left on desert trip at 8 in the morning. Also, can you believe it or not, this oasis, Siwa, incredible place, people, distance and climate. Read about it and I'll send pictures. Give my love to Man, Paul, Noosh, and Tripoutin, etc. The men here marry boys and one woman has three wives. You taught me to love Egypt. This is the only postcard in the middle of nowhere. Lovely. This next letter is dated the 14th of October, which interestingly is Roland's birthday, but he doesn't mention it at all and throughout the whole letter. Maybe it's because he was a Quaker and they didn't really believe in celebrating things like that. Or maybe he's sparing Lee the embarrassment of having forgotten that it's his birthday today. Hampstead, 14th of October, 1937. My love, I have been waiting to get your real address before sending another letter, but I can't wait any longer. The post takes so long. This morning I got your letter from the ship posted in Alexandria. It was wonderful to have even that brief and belated contact with you. And what a marvellous letter. I could imagine you on your ship and feel with you all your emotions. I am so moved, yet it makes me ache all over wanting you. Like I ask why, why, why must I and how can I do without you? You have changed me more than I could ever have changed you. You started me on a life so much fuller, so much more wonderful than anything I had known, in a way which I thought in these days impossible for me. 
and now you, my love, my darling, the heart of it all is gone. Probably by now your jigsaw puzzle has gone back perfectly into place, and the picture of your life that you had chosen in Egypt is again perfect, in which case I must bury my groans. Actually, darling, most people would like that I had forgotten you already. Your bed has not been empty for the last four nights by Thea, who occupies it so differently that I almost feel ashamed to make love with her. Towards the end of his life, Roland told me that he and Lee had never been unfaithful to each other, and that I found very surprising because I knew that they'd had loads of partners and love affairs um, during their time. But what he explained was that, yes, they could have lots of lovers, but it didn't alter their love for each other. And the point was that as long as they remained true and in love with each other, it didn't matter what else went on. And this was very much part of the surrealist idea of free love, because they held that sex and love were decoupled. And if you were in love with somebody, you could go off and have as many other partners as you wanted to, and it wasn't supposed to matter. But it was hugely hypocritical because the men thought that this enabled them to have as many lovers as they wanted, but they didn't see why the women should have the same freedom. So there's a tremendous double standard there. And Lee said, really, if it's good enough for you guys, it's good enough for me. And she had as many partners as she wanted. And Roland supported this. He was not going to be a hypocrite. He was way ahead of the game there. And so through their lives together, they openly had other lovers. She is very sweet and is perhaps the only person who could console me of this bitterness. She puts up with my gloom with great patience, though I talk of you whenever I can and tell her of the lump that I can't move at the bottom of my heart. She says, history repeating itself again, that it is not the first time that she has consoled someone of the same disease, but she gives me no real consolation. She can't. Only your return can do that. I have seen Freddie Mayer and his wife and Peter Norton, all just the same, either drunk or in a nervous jitter, and this evening I am dining with my elder brother. A rather nice society girl, to whom I knew vaguely, rang to consult me on her future as a painter, so I asked her to lunch. She came today with a packet of watercolours under her arm, and I quite enjoyed giving her unconventional advice. If she weren't English, I should have enjoyed it even more. Still, perhaps I shall see her again all the same. I went with Thea to the Caledonian market, but it rained, and one found very little. Just one cutie which cost me three and six, and who has very naughty eyes. She is an old hairdresser's model, and will make a very pretty object when I have cut her head off and repainted her cheeks. I don't stop working or doing something for a minute all day. It is the only way I can manage to live, otherwise I am too miserable. I have done five more collages with the can postcards, and intend soon to start painting. There are exhibitions on all sides which I am expected to lend or produce pictures for. I am very glad of all that. Tripotin wrote to me explaining his being deserted in Paris by Eliane. She apparently took fright at the friends he produced, and at some things he said that were too advanced for her. Tripotin 
is actually not a real person. Well, it is a real person, but it's not the real person's name. It's another name that Lee and Roland have kind of invented together. It's actually the artist and collector E.L.T. Mezens, who is from Belgium. The origin of the name, we think, actually comes from the French word tripoté ou tripotage. And that is a kind of, uh, it means, well, it means many things, but it, I think in reference to why they picked it up for mesons, it means somebody who fiddles about and meddles with things, but also someone who can be a bit of a shady dealer. However, just before leaving Paris, he met the girl he really loves, the Austrian girl who owns pictures and who he spent the summer with last year. And she was nice to him and is to see him in London again next week. So, he has new hopes. He is coming here on Tuesday next. I have not yet found a frame for your portrait, but we'll go on looking. I want to find one which really suits it and that's not too easy. The colour photos which we thought were lost in the post have arrived. So, with our apparatus, I am able to see my love in all her colours. Free and beautiful, it all seems so far away and so long ago. But I think of you all the time, trying to see you as you are now. More beautiful than ever, more gentle, more adorable, but no longer mine. Knowing that I was mad from the very beginning ever to let myself fall so helplessly in love with you. I also know that it has been the most complete and the most wonderful union I have ever had, and that I pay for it so bitterly now, can change nothing of that. All I can say is that I love you, I long for you, I want you back. I haven't answered all your questions. Tony has shown no sign of life. Man also has not written to say when he's coming. No news of Valentine. I don't even know where she is, which annoys my solicitor who wants to get on with business. And I have not yet had time to run your flirt, Dr. Moody, to earth. Darling, write to me when you can. I must know what you are thinking and doing, and how you have found Egypt. Roland to his duke. Footnote. Don't forget to send me an address or say when to write in Cairo. Duke. Quite an interesting name that he calls her. It's actually written in the letters D-O-U-C-K. We're not completely sure where this affectionate name came from or its origins. We think maybe it's some kind of connection to a duck, because sometimes Ronan does little duck pictures on the letters. Or possibly it's also connected to Lee's origins. Where she comes from, Poughkeepsie, is actually in Duchess County, in New York. And she, in later life, he does portraits of her that he calls the Duchess. So maybe he's playing on Duke and Duchess, and it's a kind of surrealist word play with that as well. Hampstead, Wednesday. My Lee, my darling. A week has gone and still no news. What has happened? I watch every post and live in hopes from one postman's knock to another. But since you landed in Egypt, he brings me nothing. Only the most fatuous letter from Zervos, or an express letter from Trepotin. 
It is so difficult to be patient and go on with things that I have lost their meaning when one's whole mind is fixed on someone who is so far away and so silent. You don't imagine I can forget you like that. I suppose, Duke, my darling, you may have flown, but you have taken half of me with you, and I remain here, trying to heal a gaping wound in my gizzard. Yesterday I went to see Katya. Naturally we talked about you, as much as a mixed company of cinema folk and Jews would allow. She looks very well, and I met for the first time her beautiful sister. I quite agree with you, she is devastatingly attractive. I shall see Katya again soon. I spent two days in the country at my brother's house in Norfolk with surprisingly good weather. It was warm enough to sunbathe in the middle of the day. That will probably make you laugh. Roland's brother, who lived in Norfolk, was called Alec. He was a very kind and generous person, but diametrically different to Roland in his taste because Alec was fixated on beautiful classic paintings and he lived in a lovely Georgian house. There were many points where they did connect because Alec was a very good countryman. He was an excellent farmer and really deeply rooted in the land. And that's something that Roland always aspired to be and later became. There were four brothers in all. The oldest is Alec. He was called Farmer Penrose. Then there was Lionel, who was called Scientist Penrose. He became a geneticist. And then there was Roland, who was called Painter Penrose. And then there was Beekus, the owner of Lamb Creek. And he was called Sailor Penrose because he had made a career as a mariner. I think of you swimming in the sea and astonishing everyone with your marvellous beach dresses and your adorable beauty. Your hair, your hands, all the details of you that affect me so deeply and so permanently. I suppose by now you are in Cairo and address this letter there hoping that you will get it. I sent three letters to the address you gave me and Alex. Did you get them? And yesterday I sent off some packets of seeds which I hope will grow and produce succulent food for your table. I am working hard. It is the only way. I will describe the results to you later when they are more advanced. Lee, darling, do write to me. I want to know that you are happy and well. I want to know what you are doing so as to see you more clearly in my imagination. All that I have said to you is true and unchanged. In fact, it is more true than ever. Give me, darling, with the same frankness that there has always been between us, some indication of your feelings and your situation now that you are back. My love. Next episode, Lee has a wonderful adventure in Siwa, which she writes about extensively. And then after the distraction comes back to the reality of missing Roland like crazy when she returns back to Cairo. In Love Letters Bound in Gold Handcuffs, our guest speaker for this episode were Hilary Roberts and Anthony Penrose. It's presented by me, Amy Buhessen, Roland's Letters are read by Adam Grayson, it's produced by Tolly Robinson, and the music is by David Cullen. This episode and its content is copyright the Lee Miller Archives, England.